It's an opportunity for us to, to teach the students, teach the kids about Jesus. And uh, it's a message that never gets old. It's for students, it's for kids, and it's for us as well. All right, so what I want to do this morning is unpack what we did this past week with the, with the kids. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, page 1 in the Pew Bible in front of you. I'll be referencing various passages throughout Scripture just to get a glimpse of some of the things that we did. We'll be starting in Genesis chapter 1, where it all began. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning, even as we've gotten to see pictures of, of what, uh, what we did this past week in Vacation Bible School. We pray that these memories would last a lifetime, that we would remember your greatness and worth that we got to learn about here this past week. And now I pray even in these moments that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word, that these truths would, would, would be clear and that we would receive them ourselves, even as students receive them, that we too would receive them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The pale blue dot. The pale blue dot. Certainly some of you may be familiar with this phrase and with these words. In a picture from 1990 by Voyager 1, taken about 4 billion miles away, our planet is seen as a tiny dot against the vastness of space. Right? This little this little speck on a picture. Our solar system is just a small part of the Milky Way galaxy, and, and our galaxy is one of tens of millions of galaxies in our universe. Astronomy truly is a humbling experience when you consider that we are just a tiny little dot created by the God of the universe. I was telling the kids this week, one of my favorite classes in college was astronomy. Go outside, look at the stars. You talk about the vastness of our created world. It was humbling, tumbling to recognize that we know the God who created it all. And so what I want to do this morning is explain what we did this past week with the VBS kids and also help us discover God, discover that the God who created everything and even this tiny little dot where we live how he wants a relationship with us. Okay, so the five points in your outline, they were the five themes for each day this past week during VBS. So first we see here, the relationship began. Okay, we see this in Genesis chapter 1. When we open up our Bibles, the first truth that we read is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God, God created everything. He created all things out of nothing. By his word, he spoke things into existence. All things came into being through him and, in fact, for him, which we heard the, the kids recite the Bible verse from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And so God, who has always been 
has always been and He always will be, was there in the beginning. Right? All that He had made was good. So this beginning was for us. It was for us. He always was there. And all that he had made was good. And then on the sixth day of creation, he creates man and woman. They were, they were distinct from everything else that he had created. He created them in his image. He blessed them and created them in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He blessed them and gave them his, his word to obey. As image bearers of God, they were to fill the earth with his image. They were to fill the earth. They were to reflect and represent him to the earth so that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now, as God created Adam and Eve in his image, he gave them some of the characteristics that he has, right? They had the ability to think. They had the ability to love and communicate with God. They were created, created to know God and be in a relationship with him. They were created to enjoy him and dwell with him forever. So what, what significance does this have for us? Right, we think back in Genesis chapter 1. What significance does this have for us? This means that you are created to be in a relationship with God. You are created to reflect and represent God. This means that you are loved by God. You are loved by the God of the universe. When we think of the vastness of the universe, we go outside and look at the stars. I love it here in Iowa because you can go outside and you can look at a clear night sky. You can see the stars. Amazing. Perhaps you say like David in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Right? So he cares for us. He displays his love for us. This, this also means, right? as we apply this, this also means that every person that you come in contact with or that, that you see at work, or you see at TV, on TV, or, or at stores, or at various events that you go to, every person that you interact with or see is created in the image of God. Right? Just as you were created to reflect and represent God on this earth, right? as little kings and little queens of God's universe, so also are the people that you interact with. And this should cause us to treat people with dignity and respect, even those who are difficult to love, right? Because they too are created in God's image. Second, this, this relationship that began at creation as God dwelled with his people, was, was broken. It was soon broken. This is my second point. You can see it on your outline. The relationship was broken. In Genesis 3, we learn that sin, the kids can repeat after me, they know this, sin messed everything up, didn't it? 
right? Sin messed everything up. But God is still in control, was still in control. This perfect relationship between God and his people was now broken because of sin. Like pollution that affects a clear night sky, so also an event in history polluted the world and and now cut off a, a perfect relationship with God. While in the Garden of Eden, God had given a command for his people to obey. Adam was told that he was free to eat from every tree of the garden, in the garden. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he shall not eat of it. For in the day that he eats, he would surely die. So Satan, disguised as a serpent, creeps into the garden and, and tempts Eve. He tempts her to doubt God's goodness. He tempts her to to disobey God's word. Did God really say? Did he really say? God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him. He's withholding something from you. Genesis 3, 6. So when the, man, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And in this way, sin and death enter the world. As soon as they ate of the fruit, they realized that they're, they're naked and they're, they're ashamed. They feel shame. So what do they do? They, they, they sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves from, in their shame. They cover their shame or they attempt to cover their shame, but it didn't work. Why? How do we know that? How do we know it didn't work? They hide from God. Right? So their attempt to cover their nakedness They try to do it themselves, and ultimately they they hide from God. If covering up their sin, their nakedness worked, they would not have hid from the presence of God. So my question, I have several questions for us to consider. Is there something in your life that you are wanting so much that it is keeping you from obeying God's word? Is there a sin in your life that you are covering up? I don't want anyone to know. I'm just going to hide. In what ways have you pretended that your sin doesn't exist? Right? Is there some sin in your life that is affecting your relationship with God or your relationship with with people. Our fallen tendency is not only to hide our sin and hide it, but to blame others for it. Right? We play the blame game. I like playing games with the blame game we shouldn't play, right? When God, excuse me, when God called Adam and Eve, he asks them, he calls out to them in the garden, he asks them this, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
To which the man replies, The woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So he, he points the finger. She made me do it. In fact, you gave her to me, Lord. And then, when God asks the woman what she has done, she replies, The serpent deceived me. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent, he tricked me. So why am I at fault? He, he tricked me. So we blame others for our sin and our problems. We have a tendency to not take the responsibility for ourselves and for our own actions. And there are consequences for sin. right? Even if we don't realize it in this moment, or even if we didn't realize it in the moment that we are going to sin, in the moment we're tempted, as a result of Adam's sin, death enters the world. Work and labor were now hard, and God does what? God kicks them out of the garden. Right? So he's dwelling with his people, and now they are removed from his presence. You might think to yourself, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. They just ate some fruit from the wrong tree. The things I do aren't that bad. Not when you compare them to someone else. My actions, my desires, my attitudes, my words, my thoughts are not that bad compared to other people. But here's what we learn. Sin is missing the mark. It is missing the mark of God's perfect, holy standard. All sin. Sin separates people from God. Our sin, my sin, has separated me from God. Our sin separates people from God. And what we try to do is we try to earn our way back. We try to fix our own problem. We try to do good works, and it will not work. Well, my good outweighed my bad. No! Perhaps some of us take it lightly, right? Oh, I'm not that bad. Some of us maybe take it too lightly. God loves me. He forgives me. So what does it matter if I sin? What does it matter if I live in sin? Remember this. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It is intended to lead you to Him so that you might turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. God's kindness is not a license to live in sin. So what do we do? We, we admit our sins. We confess our sins to him, and we repent and we trust in Jesus Christ. And we do not seek to fix a problem that we can't fix. I just want to pause here for a moment.
This is my plea. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've never confessed your sins to God this morning, would you do so? Right? Cry out to God, Lord, I am a sinner. I recognize I sin all the time. Confess that to God. Admit it. And then trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus. When we look at this passage, we realize that we can't fix our problem. There's no good work. There's no effort that we can do that would earn our way back to God. There was no way for Adam and Eve to return to the Garden of Eden where God dwelled with them. Right? There was nothing that they could do. But before they left, we learned that God had a promise to restore this broken relationship. So the third point, the, restored prom- the restoration promised. Before they leave the Garden... God promised in Genesis 3.15, and go ahead and look there with me. Genesis 3.15. So God's pronouncing a judgment upon the serpent, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God promised to send a serpent crusher who would reverse the curse who would reverse the effects that came as a result of Adam's sin. He would undo what Adam did in the garden. God himself would fix this broken relationship. And even in the Garden of Eden, before they left in Genesis 3.21, what does God do for them? Genesis 3.21, God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. God clothes them. He provides for them. He would provide a way for his, this relationship to be restored. It was promised throughout the Old Testament. About 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, a promise was given in Isaiah 7 that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We celebrate this at Christmas time. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God would again dwell with his people. God promised to restore this relationship by becoming one of his people. Promise maker, promise keeper. The Lord our God is ever faithful, never changing through the ages. At just the right time, The Son of God came to this earth and was born of the Virgin Mary. And they named him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the one who restores our broken relationship. As fully God and fully man, Jesus fixed our broken relationship. He lived a perfect life, he always obeyed his Father, he never sinned. And he came to this earth to die, not for his own sin. He never sinned. He came to this earth to die for our sins. When he was about 33 years old, he suffered at the hands of sinful men. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when he was nailed to a cross between two criminals. And they placed a sign over his head, King of the Jews! And they shout insults at him. They ridicule him. They mocked him. 
And they demanded that he save himself. You saved others, save yourself. Mark 15, 31 and 32. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. If you just come down from the cross, I'll believe. But he remained. At 12 o'clock, the sky grew dark. Darkness is over the whole face of the land. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he breathed his last. He died on the cross. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I was telling the kids this week, what, what, what's the significance of that? I asked them, what, what's the significance of the curtain being torn in two in the temple from top to bottom? It was a picture, right? This curtain was a picture that showed that they were separated from God. They could not be in God's presence. So all week we went to a separate room to do our study after we were quote-unquote removed from our garden, removed from our little clubhouse area. The curtain torn in two meant that now there was a way into God's presence. The door had now been opened and we could now have access to God through Jesus Christ. Through the cross of Christ. Jesus made a way for this broken relationship with God to be restored. He took the curse that we deserved upon Himself. He died as our substitute. In our place, He was condemned. So that we might be brought back into God's presence. And he proved this by not remaining dead, right? He, on the third day, then he, he rose victorious. He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death and Satan. He crushed the serpent's head for you and for me. Not even death could stand in the way of, of God and his plan to save us. Jesus was raised from the dead, from the dead never to die Again, so that all who trust in him, all who place their faith in him, might have eternal life. So, the question for everyone here this morning is this Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life? The good news of what Jesus had done on the cross, right? What he has done here on the cross. It's only good news for you if you accept it and embrace it. So we pictured it. We pictured it this week. 
this door, right? This, this door that we would walk into. You can see this in the fellowship hall. So we had our little room there, which we described as God's presence. R- reminding them this curtain torn in two. This is only good news if you actually walk through that door. It's only good news for you if you do that. It is only through Jesus that we can have access to God and live with him for all eternity. This is what I want us to see with my last point. So my fifth point, the relationship continues. Go ahead and turn to, to John 21, page 907. 907 in the Pew Bible. We're going to look at various parts of this. John 21, after Jesus, so he, he rises from the dead. He appeared to his disciples in several instances. And in John 21, the disciples, here they are, they're out fishing. They've, they've caught, they've been out fishing all night and they've caught no fish. And early in the morning, Jesus, he called out to them. They didn't realize it was him. But he told them to cast their nets onto the right side of the boat and they would catch fish. So that they, they cast their nets in. And now we're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. John, the apostle John says to Peter, because they've seen this before. They've done this before. They say to John says to Peter, it's the Lord. So Peter realizes it. What does he do? He jumps into the sea and he swims about 100 yards to Jesus because Jesus is there on the shore. Right? I often say, run to Jesus. Oh, swim to Jesus. Right? That's what Peter did. Jesus said to Simon Peter in verse 15, 21, 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. And then this happens a second time. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said this a third time. Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after telling him how he would die, Jesus said to him in verse 19, follow me. Follow me. You see, before Jesus' death, Peter had denied him three times. When asked if he knew Jesus, Peter said, ah, I don't know, I don't know him. Yeah, you, you, you know, you were with that guy, Jesus. You're, you're with this guy. No, I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I don't understand you. I don't know who he, who he is. Three times this happened. And now, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he restores him, right? He empowers him and, and strengthens him. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. This relationship 
will continue. It was, it was time for Peter to now live for Jesus. You see, we can claim to love Jesus, but a love for Christ will be evident in our actions. Because what we do often reveals what we truly love. I was telling the kids this week and in our story time together, and my son Jonathan, he says he loves basketball. Right? He loves basketball. Well, they, they knew that. How? I said, how do, you, how do you know he loves basketball? He spends time playing basketball. He spends time playing basketball. He plays when it's raining. He plays when it's windy, and there are a lot of windy days out here. He plays when it's sunny, he plays when it's hot, he plays when it's cold, he plays inside, right? He dribbles in our kitchen. All right, please stop. No. <laughs> dribbles in our kitchen, right? Working on his dribbling skills. So he plays inside, he plays outside. He, he watches basketball. He watches the NBA draft. He, he's, he's interested in basketball. He spends time doing it because he loves it, right? So what we do often is revealed in what we love is often revealed in what we do, so here it is with Peter. If he truly loves Jesus, then it would be a delight to him to do the will of God. And that's the point I want us to see as we, as we close and as we, as we apply this. Peter was commanded to, to care for God's people, to lead and shepherd them, which he would eventually do. He would bear witness to Jesus. And he was commanded to follow Jesus. And this is what we are all called to do is to follow him, to love him and live for him. Many of us know that this is the right answer. But if we are to be in a true relationship with Jesus, we must first place our faith in him. Right? We must trust in him. We must love him and pursue him and have all of our life orbit around him. Jesus must be the center of our universe. Because we all know, right? We're all in relationships with people. We know that our relationships, our relationship with him will only continue and grow stronger like any other relationship as we spend time together, right? As we communicate with each other. And God has communicated to us through his word. And we communicate to God in prayer and as we promote the other, right? This is how relationships grow. We spend time together. We communicate with each other. We talk to each other. We promote one another. So may our love for Jesus be evident in the way we live so that we all may shine as stars in the universe as we hold fast to Christ. We all realize that we fail at times, right? Our love may grow cold at times. We recognize this. But might we remember these words that we're about to sing, and we're closing with a song. Listen to these words. Listen to these promise, this promise. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, because we're... we're we're going to fall short. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He 
will hold me fast. Let's hold fast to Jesus. And even in the times that we fail, let's remember that he will hold fast to us and he will never let us go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this good news. We pray that even as I spoke of the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, which we told the kids this week and which we proclaimed here in this moment, I pray that everyone would embrace it and accept it. That we would all run to Jesus. That we'd swim to Jesus. That we would, that we would love Him and live for Him and place Him at the center of our universe that everything we do in our lives would orbit around Him. And we know that when we fail, You'll never let us go. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You will hold us fast in Christ. You will keep us from stumbling. We give you thanks for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.